can only imagine what he's going to be like when he gets to be a senior. I suspect we'll probably be watching him on Saturday somewhere. I know he wants to play for Michigan, but hope that comes to pass. Good news and bad news. The good news is I went home, got some cardio in, got a shower, banana, half cup of coffee. I feel great. Bad news is you're probably full and sleepy. So I don't know what to say, but let me just encourage you, if you can, I want to encourage you to bring a pen. What I want to do today in our lesson, I want to just share very quickly three points and then by way of application, four bullet points. And I want you to write these points down in just a moment or two. So in our study tonight, or this afternoon I guess I should say, we're talking about the blessings of wisdom in life. Solomon, as you well know, was renowned for his wisdom. He had asked God for wisdom. God granted him that wish, and he demonstrated that wisdom time and again. And you remember Solomon was a man that in many respects had just about everything. When the queen of the south came to visit with him, to examine him in the long ago, her response was, the half has not been told. I can only imagine what kind of man he was. He was the son of David, and he welded great power in his life. And so in the book of Proverbs, we have a lot of emphasis on wisdom. Now we said this morning in our study that knowledge has to do with acquiring facts and information, data. Wisdom, however, is knowing how to use the information at our disposal. And of course, James would say, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid. So with that in mind, let's just look in Proverbs chapter 3. And the first thing that I want to call your attention to has to do with the pursuit of wisdom. Now listen to what Solomon has to say. And again, bear in mind, Solomon, guided by the Holy Spirit, emphasizing wisdom in life. And really what he's saying in a very practical way is that wisdom, the acquirement of wisdom in life, can serve us well. It can be a great blessing. So number one, the pursuit of wisdom. Listen to him in verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. And so the idea that we are in pursuit of wisdom, we're trying to acquire wisdom, as we live here upon planet earth. But then secondly, there's what I would call the possession of wisdom. Note if you would in verse 14. He said, her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Now look if you would at verse 16. He said, length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. So you get the idea that to possess wisdom in this life affords or yields tremendous blessings. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have lots of knowledge. And they have spent a lot of time in an academic setting learning information and acquiring a vast pool of knowledge. The problem isn't 
the knowledge they possess. The problem is knowing how to use it. And so then there's a third thing I want to share with you. It has to do with the promise of wisdom. Listen now to what Solomon said in the long ago. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. And so again, the bottom line is, Solomon is saying that when you acquire wisdom in this life, there is a tremendous payoff. There are some promises. And the promise is, it will bless your life. You think about the tree of life. She is a tree of life to all who take hold of her. Happy are those who retain her. So now, here's the question. When it comes to wisdom, what can we learn, or maybe frame it another way, what do we need to learn? There are four basic intrinsic needs, I believe, that every person has. Number one, there is what I would say to be the need for forgiveness. Now Solomon, back in 1 Kings chapter 8, in the long ago, at the dedication of the temple, acknowledged the fact that there is no one on earth who does not sin. Now Paul would say, all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God. You remember in Proverbs chapter 20 at verse 9, Solomon raises the question, who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And the answer is, no one can say that. There's not an individual on earth that has the ability or the power to remedy his or her sin problem. But that's where the Lord comes in, isn't it? I mean, you think about the benefits and blessings of Jesus. Now, again, going back to what the Lord said in the long ago during His earthly ministry. He talked about how the Queen of the South had come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And you remember he said the half hasn't been told, but he went on to say, I say to you, a greater than Solomon is here. As renowned for wisdom as Solomon was, he had, he had no ability to reconcile or to remedy the problem that he had or that the human family has. That's sin, isn't it? So what about the power of the blood of Christ? Now, under the Old Covenant, there were a lot of blood sacrifices offered, weren't there? You look at the period of the patriarchs, and they were offering sacrifices. You look at the law of Moses, and there was a very detailed law, and they were to follow the precepts of that law. And in so doing, with faith in the Messiah to come, they could enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ when Jesus died on Calvary. That blood would flow backward. But you remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7? Paul said, talking about Christ, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. John, in writing the Revelation, said in Revelation chapter 1, at verse 5, Unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now, how do we appropriate that blood? Well, we obey the gospel. God has given very specific details on how we can appropriate the benefits and the blessings of His blood. And so on Pentecost Day, when Peter preached the gospel in its fullness, along with the other apostles, and those people were convicted of sin, 
And they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said in a very clear, concise way, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So number one, the need for forgiveness. But then secondly, there is the need for family. Now, we talk about the benefits and blessings of a biological family. In no way would I, minifi- would I minimize the importance of your family. Family is, in many respects, everything to us. I mean, we talk about that family unit, a husband, a wife, and then add to that equation in some instances children. And then there are grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. But there's something about the family unit. And God recognized the benefits and the blessings of a biological unit, didn't He? After having made Adam, you remember it was God who said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a suitable answer, a helpmeet, a companion to meet his needs. And so God created the woman, Mother Eve. Now, what about from a spiritual vantage point? That's one thing to talk about our biological family. And you know, when it comes to our family, we don't get to choose our family, do we? And again, I'm not minimizing in any way the importance of family. But there are some folks that quite frankly have terrible relations when it comes to their family. Some have no one. I mean, they feel all alone and vulnerable in this life. And they don't have anyone to rally around them and encourage them and support them through life. And so when they go home in the evening, they go home to an empty house. When they go to bed at night, they go to bed by themselves. They wake up in the morning again, an empty house. But the beauty of a spiritual family is God realized, recognized, that there's something to be said about a spiritual family. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul talked about the house of the living God, the church. Now, you remember in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, Paul would say to those who came from a Gentile background, he said, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So, wouldn't you say that every person, whether young or old, I mean, no matter what your social status in life, isn't there this intrinsic need to love and to be loved? Would you agree with that? I mean, don't you think everybody wants to feel like that they're loved? And don't you believe that there's a desire on our part as human beings to show love to other people? Well, why is that? Because we are social beings, aren't we? So to understand something about that family connection that is in the church. You know, it might be the case that maybe our family, our biological family is not what we would like. Maybe things, aren't, maybe things are not what we would have envisioned years ago. But you know what? In Christ, you have a Father that is unparalleled. Do you remember what John said, 1 John chapter 3? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul would say that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. There is this family relationship. And so in the church, one of the things that Jesus did 
preemptively as he pointed to the coming of his kingdom. The Lord Jesus emphasized love among the brotherhood. Why would he do that? Because he understood the importance of that factor in the lives of people. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that as I've loved you, you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. In the world, in many respects, what do you find? Conflict, turmoil. In some instances, there is animosity and hatred. And you have people that are jealous of one another. But in the context of the church, when we die to the love and the practice of self and begin trying to live like Christ, one of the things that we do is in living like Christ, we love like Christ, don't we? What was it Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that as I have loved you, that you also love one another? Love was a command under the old dispensation. But what he's saying is, the depth of love. I want you to love as I loved. And so in the context of family, and you think about when you face trials and troubles and difficulties in life, isn't it encouraging to know that you have family members, that is people in Christ, who will rally around you, who will stand beside you, and who will be there every step of the way. You know what Paul said? That we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there is this need of forgiveness, a need for family, but then thirdly, another very important need, fulfillment. Don't we all have a desire to live a life that is fulfilled or that is fulfilling? How are you going to live a life of fulfillment. Now, I know what the world says as well as you do. And since Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, just turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes and listen as Solomon begins to experience the various things of this life. And listen, here's a guy that tried everything. He's looking for satisfaction, fulfillment in power, in popularity, possessions, He's looking for fulfillment, satisfaction in pleasure, earthly wisdom, and so on. Well, here's my question. Did he find it in those things? Then in verse 17 of chapter 2, Solomon said, after enumerating those blessings in this life, he said, therefore, I hated life. Now, I don't know how long we're going to live. I have no idea what I have no idea when we're going to check out of this world. I do know that unless the Lord comes, one day we'll have to walk that corridor as everybody does. But don't you want to think that in the short time that you're on planet Earth, that you have made an impact, that you have been an influence for good in this world? You know, sometimes we talk about leaving the world better than when we got here. I'd like to think in my lifetime that in some small way I have helped somebody, that I've been an encouragement to somebody, that I've been a friend to somebody, that I have been somebody that could offer a listening ear, 
or possibly counsel. I mean, you have those same needs, don't you? So what about living a life of fulfillment? Do you remember what Solomon said when he summed up life? Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. This is man's all. What are you saying, Solomon? Really what he's saying is life is not about us per se. But it's about serving God, living for God. Really, I would add to it serving one another. I want you to just think about something for, for a moment or two. How is it that I can live a fulfilled life? I believe it begins with attitude, don't you? We've got to have a positive attitude, an attitude that says, you know what? There's something bigger than myself. And I can make a difference in this world. One of the beauties, I think one of the great blessings of being maybe a school teacher, a counselor in that context is to know that you are helping people. You're helping these children. You're helping young people to grow and to develop and you're trying to instill in them some fundamentals that will, all, that will be a blessing in their life, not just while they're young, but as they grow older. Listen, the things that I learned from my first grade teacher, I still use today. Don't you? When I learned how to spell, when I learned the alphabet, when I learned to read, I mean, those are just basic fundamentals. So to have the right attitude. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2? He talked about having the mind of Christ. So let's just try to put ourselves in that frame of mind. What was the Lord's, what was His mindset, His attitude? Wasn't it about serving? Isn't it about having an attitude of servitude? In John chapter 13, when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, what was He trying to impress upon them? They'd been jockeying for position. They'd been talking about, you know, who's the greatest? Who's going to be deemed the greatest? And the Lord said, listen, if you want to serve me and be what you need to be, you need to learn to serve one another. Matter of fact, he would say, happy are you if you do these things. Get lost in serving other people. Try to build other people up, lift them up, encourage them. One day, we're not going to be here. But the people that we associated with, people that maybe we worshiped with, worked with, went to school with, whatever, they're going to be left behind. And the question is, did we make a difference? Think about it like this. When we're born into this world, it's as, it is as if we step out onto the stage of life, don't we? And we're out here on this stage, and then at some point in time, the curtain begins to fall. It's time for us to exit right. We're going to leave this world. So for however long a period of time we're here, whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, to try to make a difference, to try to help people and to serve people, to live a fulfilled life, to me, one of the greatest satisfactions in this life is to know that I've helped somebody.
I've made a difference in their life. Isn't that true, Isn't that true with you? So what about this fulfilled life, this intrinsic need? There is only one place and one person that can give you that. That one person is Christ, and that one place is in the church of Christ. That's it. If you're in Christ and you're in the church, you are well on your way to living a fulfilled life. Now, there's a fourth thing, very quickly, and that is the future. Don't we all want to believe that we have a future? I mean, that there's something beyond this life? Look again at the life of Solomon. Solomon has been gone for a long, long time, hasn't he? One of the things that he had to grapple with in life has to do with brevity. Doesn't matter how powerful you are, doesn't matter how much you acquire in this world, doesn't matter what power base of power that you have in your possession, on and on and on. What really matters is were you preparing for the future? So what am I saying? I'm saying that in Christ you have a future. Ever thought about people that are living what we would call a secular lifestyle. It's all about the world. It's all about themselves. It's all about, you know, trying to acquire the things that Solomon talked about. So you got all these things. Let's just say that you're wealthy beyond belief. But as you grow older in life, your wealth diminishes. Well, why would you say that? Well, because as you grow older in this life, you're coming to the realization you can't take this stuff with you. Maybe you may be having a ball in life. You might enjoy all these things. But listen, as you grow older in this life, if you're not in Christ, you are becoming more and more impoverished. But if you're in Christ, and let's just say that you don't have a lot materially, you are becoming more and more and more wealthy, aren't you? Why is that? Let me tell you why. Because Paul said that in Christ we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. I want you to think about what John said in 1 John chapter, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25. John said, this is the promise he's promised, all right? John, what's the promise God's promised? Eternal life. We're going to leave this world. And don't you want to think you've got a future? That there's something beyond this. Listen, the older we get in this life, I think the greater the wisdom, the greater the understanding, and this idea of, you know what, I'm glad there's something beyond this life something better, something I can sink my teeth into. You remember Ray Maples? You know, Ray left an impression on a lot of people. And Ray told me one time when he was in his 50s, I think he said when he was 54, and Ray, if you know anything about him, you remember he had a lot of political clout. He was very well connected in the Memphis Police Department. 
But Ray said he got up one morning and he began to think. And he said, you know, there's got to be more to life than power and money and so on. So that began a quest on his part to try to get his life in order. It took him about a year to do it. But he got his life right. And what he realized was, you know what, there's more to this life than just living for self. We all want to think that we got a golden future ahead of us, and we do if we're in Christ. That's the beauty of wisdom. We talk about the blessings of walking in wisdom in this life. To understand, you know what? This world one day is going to be over and done, but we're going to be in a place like Canaan of old, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, let me ask you this. Have you done something about your sin problem? Now, the Bible says that sin's a problem. And so the question is, have you, have you remedied that problem in your life? The good news is, you don't have to die outside of Christ. The good news is, you don't have to live without a future. No, the good news is if you will obey the gospel just like they did 2,000 years ago, you will enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. And not only will you be a forgiven child of God, but you'll tap into a lot of spiritual blessings. And then you will live with the prospect of eternal life. And so as you make your way through this life to understand that, you know what, at some point in time it's going to pay off. Now, there, there's a payoff now, but a greater payoff when you leave the world. And if you want to know something about your insurance policy about the future, here it is right here, the Bible. If you want to just remind yourself of how blessed you are and how wise you were to obey the gospel, then just go back and reacquaint yourself with what the Bible has to say concerning all the promises that we have. So, if you're here and you're not a child of God, I want to encourage you to become a Christian. To turn from the ways of this world, to become a child of God, to enjoy blessings, and to be a part of the church which God's promised to save, Ephesians 5.23. And then be faithful. And listen to what John said in the long ago, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. So one day, you can rest. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, could we encourage you to come as we stand and sing?